Thank you. Good Sunday evening to you. How many of you have the book? Not a book, but the book. Hold it up good and high. Wave it back and forth and open it, please, to the book of Revelation. And go with me to chapter number 2. I'm glad for those who came to trust Christ this morning and one particularly afterwards. When people get saved, I get excited. And if you can't get excited when somebody passes from hell to heaven, there's not a whole lot that's going to help you. That's all I can tell you. Because the greatest thing in all the world is when a person chooses to say no to sin and yes to God's Son and makes a difference. Now, every night is going to be important, so don't miss any of the services. Put Jesus Christ first in your week, first in your day, first in every hour that you can do it for while you're awake and alive and breathing good air. How many would say, by the grace of God, I plan to be back in the Monday night service. Would you raise your hand real high, please? God bless you. We'll look forward to having you and those that you're going to bring with you. How many of you have been inviting people to come? Would you raise your hand? Good for you. We need everybody to try to put that invitation out. You'll be surprised how many people will show up if you'll just invite them to come. Now, out of respect for the Bible, would you stand up, please, for the reading of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. The Bible says unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which saith they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and is born in his patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted, nevertheless. I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from which thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else. I'll come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Calling your attention, please, to verse number four. What a powerful, pregnant verse. It says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Title of the message tonight, The Danger of Desertion. Thank you. Be seated, please. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. Bless you for who you are. Thank you for what you want more for this service than I could want. And I pray that I'll be right in the center of the will of God with the words coming out of my mouth the way they ought to. And I pray that every one of us will be wide open to whatever God has to say to each one of us. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Revelation may be viewed from two standpoints, either prophetical or practical. Now, when you hear in chapter 4, come up hither and go all the way to chapter 22, you've got Bible prophecy on your hands. But in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you have Bible practicality on your hands. There are seven churches the Apostle John addresses and gives us all an opportunity to see how they're doing. The first of the seven was the church at Ephesus. The word Ephesus means desirable. And there were a lot of things about this church that were desirable. Unfortunately, there was one thing that was detestable. And God has to address it by his writer John in the book of Revelation. Notice first of all, verse, uh, verse number uh, 2 says, I know thy works and thy labor. Notice God's commendation of the church. 
three things he liked. Number one, he said, I like your diligence. I like your labor. I like the fact that you're putting out and you're working to the point of exhaustion. They were diligent individuals. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 9, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. John 9 and verse 4, I must work the work of him while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor, working with his hands. I wonder if I ask the pastor, who in this Sunday night crowd are the workers and who are the shirkers if you would be on the working list or the shirking list? Everybody is either in or out. But he, they also were disciplined individuals. For he said, your patience... That word carries the idea of endurance and courage. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A man be found, everybody say the word, faithful. That's not very loud. Let's try that again. That a man be found faithful. The question is tonight, are you faithful? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night revival meetings, mission conferences? Are you faithful reading your Bible and tithing? And are you faithful in what God has given you to do so that God can commend you? Thirdly, he commended these people because they were discerning. He said in verse 3, And has borne in his patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets. I realize that was given almost 2,000 years ago, but we need to be just as aware of false prophets in the 21st century as God's people were in the 1st century. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, God says, or verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see whether they be of God. So here's a church that as far as doctrine lay, they were sharp. But there was a problem. And he moves from commendation to condemnation. Look down in verse 4. Here's where the rubber meets the road when he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He said, I have somewhat against you. I'm upset with you. You've uh, put me on the hard place to be because you've left. Now, let me know, help everybody notate words. Words mean something in the Word of God. He does not say you lost your first love. You ever hear anybody preach, well, a lot of people, they've lost their first love. They didn't read this passage of Scripture correctly. It says you left your first love. The word leave means to abandon, to desert, to relax the intensity of. You left your first. Now, if anything's first, everything else is second. Which means if you have not left your first love, then what you're about to hear tonight won't bother you. It'll just rejoice that you're going the right direction. But you left your first love, and the word love carries the idea of affection and devotion. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, now the end commandment is love. Out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith and fame. The love chapter in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, and have not love, I become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have all faith, that I can remove mountains, and have not love, I'm nothing. 
Though I give all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned, I die as a Christian martyr and have not love. It profits me, you tell me. So God takes those three verses and wraps them up in one little unique package and says, you may think you're something, but without love, you're nothing. You may think you're going the right direction because you're keeping a lot of commandments, but if you don't have love in your heart for the one that you're keeping them for, what you're doing is existing instead of excelling. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against this, there is no law. Are you a long-suffering individual? Do you have peace and joy? Are you just existing instead of excelling? The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now let's stop there for a few minutes. How can you have all of these things we're going to talk about before the night's over? How can you have all of these things if you don't have the faith of God in your life? How can you have these things running over and coming out of you if the Word of God is not influential in your life? What is it about your life that you find is insufficient almost every day that you exist? The truth of the matter is most of us have an area or areas of that nature. If you want that shored up, make sure that you know Jesus. And number two, make sure that you surrender all that you are to all that He is. And then add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness genuine heaven-sent love. Simply translated, Life minus love is nothing. Life minus love is nothing. Now here in this passage of Scripture, you're going to see a variety of things, some of which I've added to it, but they come from other parts of Scripture. And I want you to check tonight on your love life to see how you're doing walking with God. One of the first things that I think about is a coolness towards the Savior. The Bible doesn't say you don't love me at all. He says you don't love me like you used to. So evidently there was a time when these people were on fire for God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Thousands of years later, Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Do you love Jesus Christ with all of your energies? Or do you find a time in church to catch an extra nap instead of putting out for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love Him with all of your mind so that while the preaching is going on, you're thinking about it and saying, Lord, that's not sufficient in my life. I don't like that. And I'm telling you it's not sufficient. And I'm telling you that you're the only one that can change it. And I'm here tonight to surrender my will to your will so that you can do whatever you want to do. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, Jesus went to visit Mary and Martha. You may remember that Mar uh, Mary was the one who would always come and check up on Jesus. Martha was the one who was always checking out Jesus. I wonder if he needs more of this, more of that, more of the other. 
she finally came and she said, why don't you get my sister to help me? Jesus made a statement that I've never gotten over. He said, she was cumbered or occupied or turned and torn around with serving. Do you realize you can get so involved in serving God that you forget you need to love Him? You forget you need to spend time with Him. You need to spend time praying. So first of all, the question is, do you have a coolness in your life because of a lack of love? Number two, because of callousness towards sin and towards Jesus. Psalm 9710 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. In other words, there's two sides of that coin. There's one side that says love God. There's the other side that says hate evil. And by the way, if you don't hate evil, you don't really love God. And one of the problems we have is people who say, I love God, but they don't hate evil. When you really love Jesus and you want Him to bright, be bright and shining in your life, you don't want anything to come between you and your love for Jesus. Psalm 101 in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. In Genesis chapter 39, you may remember the study of Joseph. And as you studied Joseph's life, you will notice he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The thing that kept Joseph getting involved in wicked, licentious lifestyles was his faithful, determined, and devout love for Jesus Christ. For many years, I used to preach a message, and most of it had to do with today's media. I still update it. From time to time, I use parts of it. But I noticed a few years ago that of the top ten songs on the charts, Four of the top ten use profanity in the titles of the songs. No, you didn't hear me wrong. I said in the titles of the songs. So for those of you that are saying, I don't think my teenagers are listening to anything that's bad, you may be listening to the same thing and not want them to know what you're listening to. You say, well, preacher, no, don't preacher me. Either you are or you are not. Now, if you're not, don't let this bother you. But in case you are, it's high time for you to put away wickedness and put on righteousness and allow the power of the Holy Spirit of God to move and continue to move in your life so that you're more like Jesus, not less Amen. like Jesus. Number three, there's a contentedness with self. How long has it been since you were under conviction? How long has it been since you sat in church and said, has that pastor been at my house all week? And you said to yourself, you know, there are some of these preachers and they don't just study, but they study humanity as well as deity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 7, as Paul got closer to Jesus, he thought less of himself. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, he said, I'm less than least than all the apostles. And in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, he said, I am the chiefest of sinners. And if you study the progression, you'll find that with each one of those books, 
he was getting a little older and a little closer to eternity. And what was happening was this, the more he saw Jesus, the less he saw of himself. I'm amazed. In the book of Job, I always study this man who was probably one of the godliest men in all the Bible. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. The same came to Jesus. And he began to show his love for him. As a matter of fact, he was so concerned about his own children and how they might have gotten in trouble that he prayed for them with regularity. There came a day Satan came to Jesus and said to him, Let me at Job and I'll get him to curse you. You remember he said even Satan couldn't get him to curse him. But Satan said, I'll prove to you I can. And so Jesus said, you go right ahead. You go and do anything you can do to him. Just don't touch his body. If you remember, Satan had all of his children killed. He had all of his flocks executed. If you had time tonight, I could go into some of the details that make you viciously ill. But Job never cursed God. You know why? Because he loved God. When you really love God, it won't make any difference what, G, what Satan does. So Satan comes back and says to God, Give me one more opportunity. Let me touch his body. And he will curse you. I, I will prove to you that he doesn't love you. Well, you can touch his body, but don't you kill him. And so Job is put under a horrendous, terrible and unique way of hurting. And he has these boils come on him. And his wife says, curse God and die. Job says, does not now, thou not fear God? Seeing you're in the same condemnation. Now Job gets upset but he doesn't get upset with God. He gets upset with himself. When you get to chapter 38, God shows up. He said, Job, put your robe around you. Let me ask you a few questions. And it goes on to chapter 42. From 38 to 42 is not a short little essay. And then he says to him, now Job, if this continues, you will one day curse me and die. But Job never cursed God. As a matter of fact, he said to his wife, Can thou bless God out of one breath and curse him out of another? And all this, he never cursed God. How many of you sitting in this building tonight have cursed God at one time or another in your life? How many of you have gotten upset and forgot that the reason you're taking every single breath is because of the power and love of Jesus in your life. In the fourth place, you can tell if you've left your first love because there'd be a carelessness about souls. I talked to you this morning about this, and so I'm not going to spend too long tonight, but Romans 9 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Romans 10, 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. 
John chapter 1 and verse 41, John chapter 3 and verse 16, John chapter 4 and verse 29, all talk about loving God more than loving any other person. Who is it that you have gotten to the place it's almost too easy to love a human being versus a holy being? A person who may live across the road from you are in your same house than one that God put right near you to demonstrate who He is to them. My father-in-law was a man of God. He was raised in an ungodly home. It was a, quote, Christian home in name. His six sisters called themselves the girls of God, the ladies of the Lord. He went off when he was about 20 years of age, and he was a barber, and his shoeshine boy said, Joe, I wish you'd go with me. I want you to hear Anthony Zioli. How many of you in this building have ever heard of Anthony Zioli? Can I see your hands? Not anybody. Wow. Now, there's one over here. Sorry about that. My wife raised her hand. I just didn't look over there because I knew she would. Anthony Zioli at one time was known as the walking Bible. He went to prison, heard the gospel, went out and asked people, how in the world do you get saved? And they said, well, just you go back to your room, get on your knees and tell God you need to be saved and you want him to come into your life. And he said, I got on my knees and told Jesus, I don't know what this is all about, but I know this, I need you. He said, I got up and he said, I was a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. He said, one of the men who had overseen me for a number of months and sometimes years came and said, what has gotten into you? He said, well, I met Jesus Christ. And he said, tell me how to do it. I've been wanting to do that for years. And so the first man he ever led to Jesus, he didn't know many verses, but he didn't understand that when you have a heart, you open that heart to Jesus and he'll come inside and take away your sin and you'll be a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. But I want to tell you something. He's not going to do that for you until you're willing to open your heart to the king of the ages. Is anybody in the building tonight 105? Do we have anybody here 105? Do you have anybody in the church 105? Not you know. Well, I haven't met too many men, but I did meet one. I haven't met him. I actually haven't talked to him the last three or four years. Last time we were in the church was last fall, and I asked the pastor, where is Brother Tam? And he said, oh, he's in the uh, nursing home. Actually, he's not sick. He's doing well. But he said, I've witnessed everybody that walks on a planet in this town. And he said, I'm going to move in. All the rest of his family's gone to heaven. He said, I'm going to move in, and it's going to be my mission field till God takes me to heaven. I said, well, how's he doing? He said, last time I talked to him, he's led 78 people in the assisted living home to the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And your excuse is? And then finally, the way you can tell if you've left your first love is because there'll be a competitiveness among saints. Actually, there'll be a contentiousness. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Well, I'd witness to my neighbor, but he might, he might what? Cuss you out, get mad, 
slam the door in your face? He might what? Think of the worst thing that he could do. He said, well, he might take my life and you'd go to heaven. So what are you all upset about? Go back to the basics and realize you are here for as long as God wants you here to do exactly what he wants you to do. And when he's ready for you to go to heaven, nobody can stop that but Jesus. John 15 or 13, 35, By this shall all men know you're my disciples, because you have love one for another. So I have a question tonight. Are any of these things true about you? Now go down to your verse 5 and look at how he closes. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Does anybody know what the candlestick is? Candlestick is the local church. And here's what God is saying. You people have come so far from me and so far from loving me and so far from honoring me that I'm about ready to take your church and dissolve it. And by the way, while this is going on, there is a thing that's taking place and the water is moving closer and closer to Ephesus and it won't be many years until Ephesus will soon be shut down. You say, preacher, don't preacher me. I've studied history just like everybody in this building can study history, and Ephesus was shut down. God said, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm telling you that to remember and to repent and to get right with God and get your life turned around. If you want to do that, then I'll let this place go on. But if you don't want to do that, then I'll just shut you down because you have shut me down. Somebody asked me about this pandemic. My response was this. What church in the United States of America? Now, I've been to 56 other countries, and I can tell you none of them are growing. But what church in the United States of America from last January to today has grown? You say, preacher, that's an in-your-face, that's right, that's an in-your-face, tough, hard question. And I want to stop and salute every one of you who's here in this service tonight for coming because you didn't have to. But you made up your mind you wanted to be here. And that's not a small deal, that's a big deal. But I wonder when the pandemic is finished, how long it's going to take to rebuild Central Baptist Church. And some of you need to be praying about that and thinking about that. And here's what God says. If you want it to come back to life, He says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. The word remember means walk it across the stage of your mind. Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. What is it that needs to come back to your mind? Is it the fact that you used to be faithful in getting up and getting in the Word of God and you got older and it was a whole lot easier to sleep in? Do you need to remember that you used to go to church every Sunday night and now 
if they have a special speaker, you'll go, but not every Sunday night. Do you need to remember the Bible? You need to remember singing and getting glory to God? Remember. Remember. Then he said, repent. Now, when you move from remember to repent, you're now moving into open heart surgery. Because the word repent means to peel off the facade and come to Jesus just exactly like you are, just exactly with your needs, and not argue with Him and not get upset with Him, but get upset with you because He's not the one who made you stay home. You're the one who chose to stay home. But for every one of you that's been coming, I tip my hat to you. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 6, Repent and turn yourselves from all of your idols. Ezekiel 18.30, Repent and turn yourselves from all of your transgressions. What do you need to change your mind about tonight? You know, I have a distinct feeling that there's some folks here that if you really get right with God tonight, I mean really get right with God, and you leave your seat and you come and you bow and you put your all on the altar and God begins to deal with you, there's going to be some programs that you won't watch anymore. Preacher, how do you know that? Because when God dealt with me, there were some programs that had to go out of my life too. And the question is, is that what God's saying to you? Are you saying, he's almost done, I think he should be done in about five minutes and we can go home. That's up to you. But if you go home unchanged, when is it you plan to change? What is it going to take to help you get your life turned around and come back to God and get on your face and say, Lord Jesus, I love you, but I sure haven't been showing it. And then he says, repeat, do the first works. Go back and get excited about things that used to make you excited in the early days of your salvation. Do you remember when you first got saved and you got a Bible and you started getting into it and it just turned your life around? How long has it been since the Bible turned anything around in your life? Wow. Preacher, that's harsh. No, that's a good question. How long has it been since the Bible turned anything around in your life? How long has it been since... You told God, I just don't spend much time in the Bible. And I'm going to carve out 15 minutes a day. Preacher, why would you say 15 minutes a day? I learned back when I was a teenager that anybody will read their Bible 15 minutes a day can read through the Bible in one year. Wow. There are people in this building who've never read through your Bible. And it won't help when you say, I just don't read very well. It may take two years for you to read through your Bible, but you can still get through it. And you have to decide if He is worth your time in submission. I certainly wish that I could help some of you see how important the Bible is in our home church, there was a man named Ted. He was a barber. And when I went out there years ago, my pastor said, you need to go to Ted to get a haircut. By the way, if you'll go at 645, he'll be there. None of the other barbers will, but he'll be there. And he said, he'll be there all by himself till about two minutes to seven. And it'll give you about 
12 to 13 minutes to give him the gospel. I said, then I'll go. I showed up and I looked at him and I said, you must be Ted. And he said, and who are you? And I told him. He said, where are you? And I said, I happen to be over at Tri-City Baptist Church. And you know my pastor. Oh, Pastor Herbster, yes. I said, it's an amazing thing. He told me to come over and see you. And he told me the good time was about a quarter to seven. He said, well, get in this chair. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm ready. So I got in the chair and started getting into the gospel. And he listened and was very respectful. And he said, when are you coming back? I said, well, you cut it kind of short. So I'm going to have to be gone a little while. But I'll be back. The next time I went back, I got there at quarter to seven. He had some questions for me. The next time I got back about quarter to seven, he had some more questions for me. I said, by the way, we're going to have a revival meeting over at Tri-City Baptist Church. Could you come and be my guest? He said, well, sure. Now, at that time, we were running about 1050 to 1100 folks. Every Sunday morning was electric. It was just the power of God was there. And my pastor said, I want you to preach and I want you to cut loose on Sunday morning and we're going to have a lot of visitors there. And we did. and We had a lot of people saved. It was just a bang up time. I saw when Ted came in and I saw which door he came in over on the left. He came in and sat down and he didn't have a Bible. He just had his mind. And he sat and looked at me as if I didn't see him. He came forward on the invitation to get saved. And I talked to him afterwards and I said, Ted... I'm so glad you came. I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm excited that you've gotten into the family of God. I'm excited that you're going to start reading your Bible. Why did it take you so long? He said, I had no idea how easy this was. I had no idea that a person could get in the family of God simply by saying, I'm a sinner and you're the Savior. And we can't get into your family without admitting that I'm a sinner and you're the Savior and inviting you to come live in our lives. And he said, I did that. Some weeks went by and I went over to get a haircut and I walked in and there was Ted. He had a brand new Bible. He's already read now in the past few weeks, he's already read all of Matthew, all of Mark, and all of Luke. That's not bad for a brand new Christian. He said, now I've got to ask you a question. I've read all of Matthew, all of Mark, and most of Luke. Does God repeat himself? And for some of you that are looking at me like I just fell off the platform, no, I didn't forget what I was going to say. I said, Ted, God doesn't forget anything. What God did was show us how we could be saved by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and he gave four authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the ability to write from four different standpoints. And I went over this whole thing. He got so excited, he came to the front of the chair and took his towel and shook it in my face. And he said, isn't God good? And went right back, cut my hair. And I started crying. I was finishing up a doctorate. And the Holy Spirit of God whispered to me, when's the last time you got excited over one simple Bible truth? Let's bow our heads to pray.